year is, is a great time to think about what your priorities should be in your own life. And I want to take the time at the start of January to consider what should our church priorities be. Uh, and I want to direct our attention this morning to the letter of First Peter. So please open it back up, page uh, 1,220, if you've got a church Bible, page 1220, or open up on your, uh, on your phone app or whatever you've got to, to 1 Peter chapter 4. As our society regresses back to a sort of a Greco-Roman pagan culture, which it surely is, what we're going to find is that, that holding a Christian worldview is going to make us stand out, and actually we're going to experience a kind of a growing hostility. And so it's important to think through how we live as a church family in that environment. And over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at four main practical priorities that the Apostle Peter taught the, the church in the first century that was experiencing real suffering in that Greco-Roman culture uh, in, in the first century. And uh, it's already been read to us, 1 Peter chapter 4. And um, I want us to note three things from this text. Just focus in on verse 7. The first thing is to know the time frame. The end of all things is near. On Thursday evening, uh, Sharon and I had the opportunity to um, visit with uh, Jody and Ashley and to hold little baby Charlotte Gardner, who was born on January the 1st. And when their pregnancy was confirmed, the countdown clock started ticking. They didn't know exactly the time, they didn't know exactly the day, nor all the circumstances that would come about, but they knew for sure that the day of the baby's birth would come. This great day of drama and delight would come. And they prepared for it. Uh, their lives have been organized around it, this momentous day of this birth. Uh, and uh, for particularly uh, Jody with uh, trepidation as well as excitement. And we know that history is heading somewhere. In the Old Testament, Resurrection Day meant Judgment Day. The day when everybody would be raised to life who had died and stand before God, the judge. Do you remember when Martha was being comforted by Jesus. She'd just lost her brother Lazarus. He, he'd been buried. And Jesus said to her, uh, your brother will rise again. Well, what was her response? It was, it was a classic response that understood the, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Resurrection day is last day which is Judgment Day. That was the, the hope of the Jewish people who believed their Hebrew Scriptures. All of Scripture, uh, all of history, is leading towards this last day, marked by the resurrection of the dead. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so momentous for world history. It is the moment that announces 
that we are in the last days of human history. We are in the end times. His resurrection tells us that the clock is ticking down towards the final day of judgment, where eternal destinies will be, will, will be set forever. And that day will come as surely as the news of pregnancy starts the clock for the day of birth. The end of all things is near. This is how Peter reminds these suffering Christians in the churches uh, in that area that we know today as modern-day Turkey. And so at the start of 2019, I want to remind us from God's Word that the most significant things uh, about human history will not ultimately be about President Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, Jean-Claude Juncker, or Theresa May. It's going to be this fact that the risen Lord Jesus Christ will one day return and bring about the final day of judgment. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. That day will come. You will meet the returning, risen, conquering king. Uh, the dead will rise. And we will all have to give an account for our lives. It is the most significant event that is coming ahead of us. And it is guaranteed it's coming because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And my question to you, to myself today, is this, are we ready for that day? Are you ready for judgment day? Are you ready for the returning judge and king? You see, we are by nature all rebellious sinners against God. And our great need today is for forgiveness before that day. We need to experience the mercy of God before we get to that day. And the brilliant news that we've got to share about Jesus is that we can be ready for that day. We can have our sins forgiven. We can experience the mercy and the grace of God in our lives now so that we are ready when that day comes. Are you ready for that day? I, I've put in the bulletin uh, a little prayer of repentance on the inside. And, and, and if you've never talked to God in this way, there's a prayer that you can pray. So why don't you take that away? Why don't you... I tell you what, I just think starting a brand new year by... By, by beginning it by trusting Christ would be the best way to start this year. By far. Yeah, you want to you lose weight. Yeah, you want to be more organized. Yeah, you want to be fitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? This is the most important thing. To start with brand new life. To start with a brand new relationship with God. And you can do that by, by, by just praying that prayer. Uh, maybe you've got questions. Well, that's what the Christianity Explored is about. So why don't you think about signing up for that, which starts a, a week on Thursday. But you see, when we have responded to the good news about Jesus, when we've personally responded to him through repentance and faith, then, then that transforms everything as we consider that final day of judgment. Turn with me back to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, page 1217, and look at uh, the sentence beginning with a little three on the left-hand side. 
1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, look, look at verse 7. It speaks of, of that day when Jesus Christ will be revealed in glory and honor. And all those who put their hope in him will receive their imperishable inheritance. Uh, to the elders, let me remind you of chapter 5, uh, where it tells us that uh, it's worth it being an elder. Despite criticism, despite the, uh, the challenges of dealing with difficult situations, of getting alongside people, it's going to be worth it. Because you will receive a crown of glory, it says in, in chapter 5, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, Jesus appears, the chief shepherd, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, all these events are certain since the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. The countdown to judgment day has begun, and we are living in the end times. So what should our priorities be as a church family, as a Christian family, in the end times? Well, priority number one, according to Peter, chapter 4, verse 7, is prayer. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober minds so that you may pray. Now, we're going to consider prayer in a moment, but notice that there's two ways we need, we need to prepare ourselves. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. And I think we would, that's probably, many people would find that quite surprising for a number of reasons. What would you do if you knew that the end of the world was near? Now, there's lots of uh, stupid movies uh, that have uh, played with this idea. And uh, what's the response of people uh, when they think about the imminent end of the world, which they imagine either through an asteroid smashing in or some zombie apocalypse or, I don't know, crazy ways that the world's going to end? What's people's normal response? Well, it's basically to throw off restraint. It's going to end. So let's go wild. Let's party hard. Let's get drunk. Let's get high. Because the end of the world is here. And down through history, uh, there have been different sects and cults who have confidently predicted the exact day of Jesus' return, despite the fact that Jesus has told us uh, nobody knows the hour or the day. And yet, some people get their, you know, spend too long on their own, I don't know, drink too much coffee, and get crazy notions that they've got the inside track of the whole of the Bible, and they know the exact date. And they convince a few loonies to join them. And what do some people do? They sort of sell their properties. They leave their jobs. They move to mountaintops ready. Sadly, um, there have been cult leaders 
who teach that they've the inside track. There was a documentary this very week about David Koresh uh, on the BBC and the crazy things that he believed about himself. And he convinced other people. And um, there have been situations where people have lost their lives as, as the cult leader has, has told people to drink the, the, the poisoned Kool-Aid or stay in the properties as the thing gets burnt down. Absolutely horrific. Absolute craziness. And notice that this is the exact opposite to what the Bible commands here. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober minds. Let's think about these two words. Now in the original language, the, the alert uh, idea has the idea of clear-mindedness, uh, of coming to a sensible judgment about things. It was the, the great transformation that took place to the, uh, this demon-possessed man who encountered Jesus. This was a scary dude. He, uh, he spent all his time shouting out loud, self-harming, cutting himself. He lived amongst the tombs. People kept trying to lock him up with chains, but he would, he would break free. He was a wild, crazy guy. Everyone was scared of him, and yet he encountered Jesus. And by the end of that time of Jesus dealing with him, how did the, how did the, the, the city that was scared of this guy, how did they find him? Well, they turned up and they saw him seated, clothed and in his right mind. That's the word that's used. Clear-minded. The end of all things is near, so we need people with sensible minds, with clear minds, who understand what is at stake and understand what is important. We need people with sober minds. And uh, the meaning of that is exactly what you would imagine it would be. It's the exact opposite to drunken or befuddled minds. Uh, we need minds that are restrained and composed, that are not getting carried away or irrational. This is a repeated command through this letter of First Peter. Uh, turn back to chapter 1, verse 13. Um, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be revealed to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You see this clear-sighted, sensible knowledge that Jesus is coming. Um, or, or look at chapter 4, verse 3, as he deals with the other side of it. Um, For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, Lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. Well, well you know, that, that's what pagans do because they don't understand the time that we're living in. They don't understand what life is about. They give themselves to drunkenness and all these sort of debauched activities. Uh, don't be like that, Peter tells the Christian church. Or chapter 5, verse 8 he tells them that there's a spiritual battle on. 5 verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, we are not living in neutral territory as Christians. Uh, we are living in an environment where a world is actually anti-God, where there is really a devil who wants to take us down. And so you walk 
You know, if, if, if you went for a walk through a forest, um, and just before the walk happens, someone says, by the way, there are wild lions walking around this. How are you going to walk about? With a, a degree of, uh, of alertness and caution, aren't you? You definitely are. Or if you're not, well, who knows what's going to happen. Be alert. Be of sober mind. This is what we need to be able to live the Christian life and to properly engage in what? In prayer. And I think this is, this is also a surprising thought. Uh, here's the question. What is the, 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 the first practical, sensible, rational step we should take in the challenges and difficulties of our life? Answer, it is to pray. That's the sensible, rational, sober-minded, clear-minded thing to do. Pray. Uh, I've seen lots of movies, and maybe you've heard it in life, in a crisis or emergency. Uh, people are shocked. They're standing around, and someone says, don't just stand there, do something. Well, and Peter is telling the church um, that the first do something is pray. I sometimes sit in prayer meetings where there are long silences and I want to say out loud, don't just sit there, pray something. That's why we're here. Therefore, be clear-minded, clear, alert, sober-minded so that you can pray. And of course, this makes total sense when you understand what, who you are as a Christian. Let me remind you who you are, my Christian friend. Turn back to chapter 2. And verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, if you're here as somebody who is trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are one of the chosen, loved people of God. Earlier in chapter 2, it describes the congregation of believers as, as a spiritual temple. This building is not a spiritual temple, but when we gather as God's people, that is a spiritual temple in which God dwells by His Holy Spirit. We are a royal priesthood, the Bible says. We get the privilege of drawing near to God. He invites us to come. We are those set apart by God to be His servants and worshippers and intercessors. We can approach our faithful creator and know him as our father. These are incredible privileges that are ours. And so what's the first priority? It's quite simple. When you know who you are, when you know what time you're living in, it is to pray. Prayer has different forms in it, doesn't it? Just as all forms of communication have different forms. It involves praise. The children's football team that were trapped in flooded caves uh, in Thailand were profoundly thankful to the divers who rescued them. 
who brought them out of the darkness of the cave into the light. And the British divers uh, were uh, honored and praised in the Queen's New Year's Honors List. What else can you do but praise a God who has shown you such amazing salvation and such amazing mercy, who's brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light, who's lavished all the blessings of his Son upon you. You know, this letter, we've already noted, opens with praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the wellspring of prayer. It is praise for all who God is and all that he's done for us. It also involves petition, asking God for stuff, asking God to act in our lives. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, is a quote from um, Psalm 34. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Guess what? You are made righteous by trusting Jesus. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. The Lord is actively listening for you to speak to him and approach him. Uh, Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. This is a great verse if you are an anxious person. And actually, if you're a human being, you're an anxious person. So it's all of us. 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. What an invitation. You feeling anxious about this year ahead? Cast your anxieties on him. You're coming wearing a big heavy uh, knapsack full of the weight of your cares and burdens. Take it off. Cast it to the Lord. He's mighty. He wants to take them for you. Husbands, turn with me to chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Do you notice uh, several assumptions in that verse? Assumption number one, that believing husbands will be giving themselves to the business of prayer. We should be a model of that in our homes with our wives and our families. Uh, Husbands, you are the pastor of your home. You have the privilege of leading your family in prayer, of leading your spouse in prayer, of praying together. But it's very hard to pray for your wife if you both know you've been treating her badly and without respect. And actually, a close relationship with the with the Lord in prayer, is such a privilege that Peter assumes that that would be another motivation for husbands to treat their wives with respect and to consider their needs because you don't want your prayers to be hindered. You don't want this fellowship with the Lord to be hindered. Therefore, love and care and be considerate for this most precious person that the Lord has entrusted into your life, your wife. So here's priority number one. When the end is near pray. And so, you know, it's not hard, is it? 
what are we going to do to make most of the opportunities to pray this year? Uh, do you agree that priority number one was prayer? Did you see that? Did I make that up? You got, so what's God said to you? Priority number one, pray. So what are we going to do this year to make that our number one priority? On New Year's Day, uh, I went to the um, service at St. Columbus Free Church. Derek Lamont was preaching, and he reminded us somewhere from the internet that it takes apparently 21 days of, of, of repeating something before it becomes a habit. Do something for 21 days, and apparently it becomes a habit. Well, why not focus on doing some of these things for 21 days and see if it becomes a habit? Um, Daily personal prayer. You know, work out when and where you're going to pray. Find, find a time in the day that works for you. We've all got different lives. Um, we've all got different experiences. But find a time in the day when you can be quiet, when you can uh, find a, a place on your own where you can pray. Just try and determine to do that for the next 21 days. Uh, I started using a, an app on my phone, PrayerMate, uh, last year. It's great. And you, you bung in some different prayer points, and it reminds you every day, and it gives you a little list of things to pray through. Fantastic little app. You can get it for free from all good online stores. Husbands, why not start, if you've not begun already, leading your family in prayer at the main mealtime? I don't know when that is for you. Breakfast, we're all staggered. The evening meal, we tend to be together. And so that's when I try just to read a little bit of scripture, ask a few questions, and lead the family in prayer. Is that something you could start doing? Now, you might be thinking, it's too embarrassing because I haven't done it so far. Well, great, it's a brand new year. Don't be embarrassed. Let's start now. Why don't you give it a go for 21 days? See if it becomes a habit. Husbands, why not think about the last conversation you have with your wife at the end of the day to say, how can I pray for you? Let's pray. It doesn't have to be a long, magnificent prayer, but just why not get into the habit of, of taking that responsibility of praying with your wives, praying with your family. And let's make the most of the, of, of the encouragements of praying with the church. Tonight, um, Church of Prayer, we do it first Sunday of every month, uh, we, 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 we set aside the evening service to pray as a church. Why don't you come along tonight? And we're going to pray for different matters going on in the life of our church. We're going to hear from Alex and Carla Watt as well a bit about what's been happening with them. We're going to pray for them. And my friends, if you know, I, I love this meeting because I actually see groups of people. I see teenagers with uh, people in their 70s and 80s in groups together and praying together. It's the coolest thing. Uh, I've seen young children praying with older people. That's a beautiful thing. Why don't you come? And do you know what? When you come, why don't you pray out loud? It's such a blessing when other people can hear what you've got to say. If you're encouraged by hearing other people pray, guess what? If you do it, other people will be encouraged as well. And then this is a week of prayer. We, we, we set aside the normal ministry so that we can pray because, because we know from the Bible that the number one priority when the end is near is to pray. Wouldn't you love to see hundreds of people becoming Christians this year? Wouldn't you love to hear more stories of people's lives being transformed through Jesus to the glory of God this year? Would you not love that?
Has it not encouraged you in the past year to hear that? Do you know what? It all starts with prayer. This is what marked the spiritual revival that took place in Charlotte Chapel in 1905. It was a passion for prayer. Uh, this summer, I, I read a book about Joseph Kemp by his, by his wife, who clearly loved him a lot and thought very highly of him. Um, he was the pastor of this congregation at that time. And uh, in those meetings, they described the prayers of God's people as an earnest seeking after God and a passionately expressed desire for the salvation of people. In January 1905, Joseph Kemp returned from Wales with a Mr. Thomas and reported what was taking place in the Welsh Revival of 1904. On January the 22nd, uh, a Saturday conference went from 3.30 in the afternoon until midnight, at which, the book says, the fire of God fell. There was an overwhelming sense of the reality and awfulness of God's presence um, and of eternal things. Life, death, and eternity seemed suddenly laid bare. Prayer and weeping began. People were, while individually affected, uh, some sang, others prayed. They seemed oblivious to the others. And prayers would break out, waves and waves of prayer that they would find it hard to stop. And they got all the way to midnight. People experienced an overwhelming sense of the glory of Christ and the wonder of his love. On Sundays, uh, there was a prayer meeting at 7 in the morning, at 10 in the morning, and then there was the 11 o'clock gathering. And the building was open for prayer every single night of that year. Not uncommon to see 200 people attending. People were so burdened to pray that they just couldn't help themselves. They'd be praying over the top of each other. And there were Sundays where it was not uncommon to see 30 or 40 people becoming Christians on the Sunday. Can you imagine that? Backsliders were returning. Children were becoming Christians in the Sunday school. Hundreds were saved over the coming months. By the end of the year, a thousand people had become born again through largely those prayer meetings. Now, spiritual revival is God's sovereign work. I don't think we can work it up. I don't think we can make it happen. Uh, those are remarkable, unusual times. But whether we are in a time of revival or whether we're in more ordinary times, this is clear. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Let's pray.